are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So, you know, sometimes when uh, the preacher goes to look at the readings for the Sunday, uh, you kind of go, what possible connection is there here? Because there often isn't any. But then sometimes there is, and it kind of sparks, and it might come slightly out of left field. Tonight is one of those. Because the connection is actually greed. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, it comes at the end of a list of things that he says should be put to death or set aside in the life of the Christian. And remember, he's writing to a fairly new community in Colossae, a mixed community, largely Gentile with some Jews, but but very fresh to this faith. And so he's coaching them along. These are the kind of things you got to set aside, folks. And then he lists off fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Greed, Paul writes, and then actually qualifies it by adding almost parenthetically, which is idolatry. In the Gospel text, Jesus answers the man who comes to him with a request. Did Jesus tell that man's brother to divide the inheritance he's received from his father? Jesus quickly replies, Friend, who set me to be a judge? Or an arbitrator over you. And then he adds, kind of raising in his eyes and looking at the wider crowd, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Of course, you might rightly respond to me by saying that while Jesus clearly focuses here on greed, in Paul's epistle, greed is just part of a longer list. And it's a list that is actually extended a little further as the reading goes on. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Paul lists them all. But there is something about greed that clearly does unsettle Paul, causing him to add that funny little clarifying statement, greed is idolatry. So I don't think I'm all out of order in landing the focus tonight on greed. You see, I think that while we can pretty easily identify when we're dealing with some evil desire, malice, slander, you know, if you say something slanderous about somebody, chances are you pretty quickly kind of go, oh, what was I saying? Greed is rather more tricky The case of the man who comes to Jesus and asks him to intervene in this case with his brother, Jesus seems to pick up quickly on the fact that the guy is probably flirting with greed, even if he's right about the inheritance. Sure, he pleads a case of financial justice when it comes to that inheritance, but what does Jesus see in his eye? Maybe a little gleam of greed, a desire to buy more sheep for his fold, build an extra room for his house, buy his wife a new gold ring. 
The brother who has failed to duly share the inheritance is undoubtedly in the grips of greed. This man with a request for justice might be just as much at risk. And so Jesus comes with that strong statement, take care. Maybe we could paraphrase that. Careful, buddy, you're flirting with trouble. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, which actually hits the proverbial nail on the head. Because Jesus knows that for too many people, a good life is absolutely defined by an abundance of stuff. You don't have to look too far to see that, of course. I read an article in the New Yorker this morning about all of the multi-billionaires who own these super yachts, now ranging up to 500 feet in length. Who needs a super yacht 500 feet in length? Or you think of the multi-millionaires who have themselves on exorbitant salaries, grant themselves bonuses that could all but bail out a small nation. And they seem to think it's fine. Or closer to home. Wander through a shopping mall. Look at all the stuff people seem compelled to buy. Never mind that they might be buying it on credit cards that are almost maxed out sinking them even deeper into debt, they, and make no mistake, they can include us, just desperately want the stuff. Set aside for a moment those of us who are maybe up to our throats in credit card debt or bank loans or overdrafts, and just turn your attention for a moment to the rich man in Jesus' little parable. He's not in fear No creditors can bother him. In fact, he is apparently in the parable absolutely wealthy. Think of him as being an Andrew Carnegie, an Aristotle Onassis, maybe the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, or Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. No need whatsoever. Massively successful in the world in which he lived and wealthy to a point that this man in the parable can hardly begin to imagine it all. What should I do, he says? I have no place to store my crops. He's that successful. But there's no thought to paying attention to the poor neighbor down the road or to the old widow who comes along and picks up the bits of grain that fall from his carts, Both figures in the Old Testament Torah very much in view. Both have allowances made for them for the poor neighbor or the poor widow. But this man isn't looking at things that way. He's produced crops from his fields. He's now rich and he likes it. And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my old barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, 
drink, be merry. Here I will turn to the inimitable Robert Ferrar Capon as he comments on this parable, saying, I will say to my life, gloats the fool, life, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus, in other words, is having the fool do what we all do in our avarice. Congratulate ourselves on our lifestyle whenever possible. He sets him as a paradigm of our whole plausible, reasonable, right-handed, wrong-headed struggle to be masters of an operation that is radically out of control, to be captains of a ship that all our life long has been taking on water faster than we can bail it. And then Jesus delivers the Sunday punch. But God said to him, fool, this night your life is required of you. Then who will own all the stuff you've spent so much time preparing? In a quiet last line, Jesus adds, This is how it is with one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich in God's sight, or literally rich into God. We who spend our whole lives in pursuit of wealth come the end only to the poverty of death. And we complain bitterly, unable to make head or tail of such a cruel reversal. Or a good number of us might complain bitterly, because at least some of us have turned a crucial corner through which we've learned that of all the things in the world worth living for, the accumulation of money and stuff is rather a dead end. I remember when I was at a national church meeting back in about 2009, and St. Benedict's Table had just published that little book that I wrote, Come to the Table. It was a reflection on our communion practice here. And one of my colleagues on this National Church Committee wanted to purchase a copy of this book, which commanded a princely sum of $7 to cover the cost of printing. But he handed me a 20 As I fumbled for the change, he said, no, just keep it. Someone else comes along and wants one and doesn't have the money, just give it to them. And then he stopped and he said, the older I get, the more I realize that it's good to stop worrying about money and just be generous. That little exchange with that friend on the committee imprinted itself on my imagination, and it rather changed me. Well, of course, Jesus' parable here has a tough edge to it, as do a good many of his parables. I think it's important to attend to where Paul lands in his teaching, as it gives breadth to how we might want to think about this matter of greed and of a path that leads away from it. Paul winds down this portion by saying, Do not lie to one another, which quickly sags into his insistence that as Christians they already have, quote, stripped off the old self with its practices 
and clothe yourselves with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Now remember, he's talking mostly to brand new Christians, many not even with a knowledge of the Jewish scriptures. And he's telling them, you are new already. That's the claim that's placed upon them. Even if the community in Colossae still wrestles with these issues of things like greed, But Paul is unrelenting in his insistence that they have already been transformed and that they just need to keep rising to that transformation. Just live into it. It is your reality, he's saying to them. And so he writes, in that renewal, in that transformation, that you're still getting your heads and your hearts around, in other words, in that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all in all. That's the deepest Pauline vision. There is no longer a distinction that makes a whiff of a difference in the world because Christ is all in all. It continues to be a deep claim and call on us right to this day. So if you dare, sometime this week, tuck into your own rendition of Paul's little list. He says, no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. And I might say... In that renewal, there is no longer indigenous and settler, Russian and Ukrainian, left-wing and right-wing, hungry and full, rich and poor, for Christ is all and in all. Which is another way of saying that we are called beyond our cultural, social, and economic distinctions. We can be proud of our Scottish heritage, if you happen to be Scottish like Larry and I. You might be deeply proud of having a Cree heritage. You might be incredibly excited about being Ukrainian in this context now and deeply saddened and maybe even hostile against Russia. You can hold those things, but we are also called to transcend those things. Mandated to take the time and energy to deeply care about one another, distinctions aside. May it begin to be so again and again and again. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.